Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast, and I'm so glad you've chosen to listen to this. Over the next several weeks, you will be listening to a series called Stopping Jesus, and this is not intended to be a message where we say, Jesus, we don't want you to do anything, but it's where we say, Jesus, stop, see what we're going through, see where we are, and would you move on our behalf? I hope you enjoy this series. I hope it does something for your life and challenges you to live even more for Jesus. The series we're on right now is Stopping Jesus. What? That doesn't sound right, does it? It has nothing to do with saying, Jesus, I don't want you to do something. It has everything to do with, Jesus, would you stop right here and do something amongst us? Isn't that cool? So our theme scripture comes out of Isaiah 66, 1 through 2. By the way, um, Stopping Jesus this week, we're going to talk about being the unlikely candidate. Isn't that cool? The unlikely candidate. How many of you would say there have been times in your life that I'm the least likely or I'm the unlikely one? Uh, It it should be that person over there that, God, you do something with. I've looked at other people with great anointings and, and, and how God moves in their life, and I'm like, shouldn't it be them? But oftentimes, if not most of the time, God looks at the one that's the least likely, and he says, you're the one. Because when I do it through you, no one can say it was you. It was me in you. So we're going to look at the unlikely candidate. Our theme scripture is Isaiah 66, 1 through 2. And we start here, we will start here every week as we go through this series, which is going to be uh, probably eight or more weeks long. So by the end, everybody ought to be able to quote or know Isaiah 66, 1 through 2. Uh, This is later quoted in the book of Acts by Stephen, which is interesting. But this is where the prophet is speaking on behalf of God, and he's so bold to say not just, God is wanting to say, but he says, thus, I'm spitting today. I'm spitting a little bit of cotton, so good that you're not all in the front row. Aaron's going to have to deal with it. Thus saith the Lord. You know, if somebody is going to be so bold to say, thus saith the Lord, they better make sure it's not the pizza from the night before or the matzo ball soup or whatever it is that what's going on. But we've got to make sure that we've got to clearly hear from God. And and we know that the, the prophet here had a pretty clear sense of when God was talking. And if in the word it opens up, thus saith the Lord, we ought to listen clearly, right? And he says, thus saith the Lord. So God is speaking here. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? I think it's interesting that we have this scenario here where God is challenging the listener. Who of you can build any kind of an existence for me, any kind of a place for rest. We know that God in this is saying, yes, I am in heaven and this is my place of, of, of my throne room and there is a place on earth and whereby I can place my feet and you should be at the most incredible place at his feet, which is where we've sat today, which I don't want to be in his lap. I know if a son wants to be in a father's lap, but it's at his feet where the oil can pour down and anoint and do some incredible things. It's at his feet where I sit in humility, whereby he can pour out and do some incredible things through me. And I'm going to show you something about humility in just a minute. But he's, he's saying that these things contain me. But if we understand that in the palm of his hand, the universe rests, what kind of a picture are we getting here by the prophet? And he says, whom of you can build a house for me? And he then says something very profound and very interesting. He says, what is the house that you would build for me? What is the place of my rest? If I've built, or if Who's going to build these things? And he goes in verse 2 and he says, all these things my hand has made. And I was reading this 
uh, early on, and I, I felt like God said, this is a picture of my grace. Because none of us is saved by our own works. None of us can build a house, a tabernacle. None of us can make our bodies ready by which he can occupy and be made. He had to do the work. And he's saying here, heaven is the throne, my throne, the earth is my footstool. Whom of you can build? No, none of you can. For I, in verse 2, says, all these things my hand has made. My hand has made it so that you can be the vessel by which I can occupy Isn't that cool? It's my work. You are saved by grace, not by any works that any man can do. So you can't boast about it, right? That's a loose Jeff translation. But it's my work. This is righteousness made by God in us through Jesus Christ. It's an incredible picture here. And so all these things, all of them came to be, declares the Lord. But then the key scripture in all of this right here, that this is the one whom I will look. Now, if the scripture here says, this is the one whom I'm going to look, how many of you would say, if if he's going to say, I'm going to look at this person, I need to pay attention to this description. There's about to be a description right here of the one whom God says I'm going to look at. So I need to pay close attention to who this person is so that I can be that person. And he says very clearly here, the one who is humble. God, I can't do this without you. The one who is contrite or poor in spirit. There is nothing in me capable, but it's all in you doing it within me. And he trembles. I can't wait. I have to have more of your word. I have to have more of who you are. I have to have more encounter that trembles at your word. And this is the person that stops Jesus. Is that powerful? Can you just sense his glory in this place, just in that description right there? Oh. So good. So as we look at this series, man, we could stop there and go and have lunch, couldn't we? I mean, it's like, stop. I have three more pages, three and a half more pages of notes to get through. And we've, I feel like we've already had a oh, moment. So in recapping, just real quick, in week one, we looked at blind Bartimaeus, or I don't even know why we still call him that, because we discover in his encounter that he can see, praise God. And we looked at the stopping power of Jesus. When he stops, we must stop. And then week two, we looked at the pool of Bethesda, and we discovered we can't have any more excuses. If you go back and read that story, um, we, we see that Jesus asked the man if he wanted to be healed, and he said, but when, when the opportunity arises, no one's here to put me in the water, or someone beats me to the water. Can you imagine? And we make those same excuses, but can you imagine Jesus walks up to you and says, I'm going to do for you that which you've waited for 38 years to have done. And you said, well, this happens or this thing, the doctor said that, or I can't do this. He's in front of us, so we make excuses. And I'm here to say, week two is saying, no more excuses. And this week, we're going to look at the unlikely candidate. And again, I think we can all relate to the unlikely candidate. Look with me, if you can, to Luke chapter 19. Now, all these scriptures will be on the screen if your Bible reads a little bit different, but I know some of you like to take notes in your Bible. So, Luke chapter 19, I will do most of this reading out of the ESV translation. Luke chapter 19, and we're just going to look at the first 10 verses. Now he, this is Jesus, entered Jericho, and he was passing through. I have to stop there. I'm so glad that he's not just passing through, but he's taking up residence. Amen? But in this case, he's passing through, and behold, there was a man, and his name was Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector. 
he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on one account, but on account of the crowd, he could not. See, he was looking to see who Jesus was, but because of the crowd, make sure we catch this, because of the crowd, he could not see. Why? Because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. How many of you are hearing the song, right? You can't even read the scripture without hearing the song, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? Yeah. So I want us to make sure that, and and anyone that's heard me recently has heard me say this, and for you ladies, you need to hear this. We get so caught up in reading scripture this way, Hansel and Gretel. We read it as a fable or an old story, and we forget to read it as God's breathed word, his inspired word of God. And this isn't just, this is a great story, but it isn't just some story. This is life. This is reality. This is something that we have to, as was described in Isaiah 66, verse 2, we have to tremble at his word. This is his word. This is bigger than just some old fable or old story or old nursery rhyme. This isn't a nursery rhyme. So when we read this, let's hear this today as if it's the first time we've ever heard it. Can we do that together? So let's let's forget the song for a moment. So he climbed up into a sycamore tree. By the way, this tree at this time was probably in full bloom. So he had to not just climb, but he had to see through it. I looked at pictures online and and a sycamore tree is, have you ever seen a sycamore tree? It's a, it's a fairly easy tree to climb, but it's pretty, it's got big leaves, and it's, it's a pretty lush tree. So he had to make his way, he had to put effort into seeing Jesus. And the thing is, is he has to make haste because it says here in the end of verse 4, for he was about to pass that way. Jesus was coming and he was about to pass. And the moment in which he could get the attention of the one who was about to pass by was going to come and it was going to go. That's key. We've got to pay attention to that in verse 5. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down. Sounds like the obvious response, doesn't it? Jesus says, come down. Okay, you betcha. No problem. I was wanting to see you. <laughs> right? It's pretty, um, I don't know why that seems so obvious to me. So he came down and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He had gone down to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, behold, the Lord. I think it's, we got to be very we got to look at the words here. Notice Zacchaeus, he's made haste, he's climbed a tree, he wants to see clearly who Jesus was. And there's a theme that we've seen through these scriptures, and I wish you could have seen some of this. Now, if I can just be bold, there's a live stream of every message, and there's a podcast that you can check out if you want to go back and listen to some of this or see some of this. But one of the things that we discover is in encountering a stopping Jesus, there is a revelation of who he is every time. Jesus reveals himself to people. And he reveals himself 
when we walk into this place as to who he is. So Jesus, it says, or Zacchaeus, he wanted to see who this man was. Jesus has now met Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus has encountered Jesus. Jesus comes down and Zacchaeus in verse 8, he said to the Lord, behold, Lord. Capital L, do you see that up there? He already has a revelation of who this man is in just one sentence. In one brief encounter, he has a revelation of who Jesus is. And he says, to the point, and we discover this as well, that when we have a revelation of who Jesus is, we deal with our flesh. We deal with that old nature. We deal with that junk in our lives. And it's not a point you out, put you up on the front and say, sinner, deal with this. It just naturally happens. And it's, it's not embarrassing. It's just what happens because of who God is in us. The Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not his iron fist. It's not his crankiness. It's not anything. It's his kindness. So we've got to remember that when we encounter Jesus, there's something that just causes us to deal with that sin nature that we once had. He says, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, I want to point out something else. I really do have points, and I want to get to it in just a minute. Um, I will get to that in just a minute. I'll come back to that. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, I love that phrase, today. Not tomorrow, not yesterday. Today, salvation has come to this house. Since he also is a son of Abraham. We prayed for Elijah and for the McChesney family. Today, healing has come to that house. Today, we could say, Jesus did it. Why can't we? Today, salvation has come to that household. Now, they love Jesus. They're serving Jesus. It's not a case that there's sin in that household. But I can say, just as salvation has come to that household, so has healing come to that household. And verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So, I've got some observations from this story You would think, well, yeah, you've already given us some, but I've got some specific observations I want to give you from this story this morning. And the first observation that we get from verses 3 through 4 is Jesus stops for the tenacious. Kind of a fun word, isn't it? Look at the description of of Zacchaeus and his making haste to make it through the crowd. Excuse me, pardon me, pardon me, excuse me, come through. Get out of my way! And then he climbs up in the trap just to wake somebody up. If anyone's trying to, oh, Andrew's not with us today. I didn't need to do that. Anyway, there's a little joke there. But teenagers, you got to love them. Anyway, but he was tenacious. He was making effort to get in front of Jesus. And sometimes, you know, it life gets difficult. Things happen in our lives. And sometimes we forget to tenaciously pursue Jesus. Sometimes we forget to go hard after him. And really, if we're tenacious in our pursuit of him, He's going to come to the foot of the tree. Is it really that simple? The Bible says, draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Not the other way around. Now, he's a loving father and he is desperately, and and I say that boldly, he is desperately not because he is lacking like he's without, but he 
desperately wants relationship with us. And he's going to put measures in front of us. And he's going to do things to cause us to take that drawing near to him. But he is going to respond to our tenacity. Just like he does in Zacchaeus and his tenaciousness. So that's point number one. Jesus stops for the tenacious. Normally I try to make points alliterate or have whatever. This doesn't do any of that this time. If you know what alliteration is, it's just not going to happen today. Um, But that's point number one. Jesus stops for the tenacious. Point number two, and I love this. This blew my mind when I just stopped, dropped back, and read this as if I'd never read the story before. Sometimes we lose the power. Jesus knows our name. Did you catch this? Jesus walked up to the tree. He looked up and nobody said, hey, have you met my friend here? Nobody said, Zacchaeus didn't jump or yell from there. Hey, look at me. My name is Zacchaeus. No. Jesus looked up at the tree and he said, Zacchaeus. He said, Zacchaeus. He knows who we are. Look with me, if you can, at Psalm 91 for just a minute. Hang on, I'm trying to multitask, and I'm a dude, so that doesn't happen real well. Let me get this set here for just a second. Go with me to Psalm 91. (coughs) Excuse me. I got a new Bible, so it's not totally broken yet. I normally don't, for those of you, I don't normally have a Bible in front of me when I preach. I normally have an e-version, but I'm digging having a Bible in my hand. Anyway, Psalm 91. I'm going to read the whole Psalm. The whole Psalm. Because sometimes, no, all the time, this does a much better job than any notes that I could put together. Listen to this with me about him knowing our name. Follow this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under the wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. I could preach an entire series on this psalm. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the error that flies by day, nor the pestilence or the stalks of the darkness, in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the redemption. Sorry, you will only back up. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall befall you, or, or no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent, you will trample underfoot because he holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Do you you just hear what goes with him knowing our name? I've just described through this psalm all of this goodness that comes with him. It's said here very clearly because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation.
because he knows my name. He knows my name. He knows your name. Isn't that powerful? And he walks up and he says, Zacchaeus. He could have just said, I know your name. Maybe he said, I got your number. He says, Zacchaeus. Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house. I must stop. You get that? I must stop with you. Many commentators say he stayed the night. He didn't just stop for a meal. He spent the night and the transformation that follows. I've done got my notes out of order. That's okay. Point number three comes from that second part. I must stay at your house. Jesus wants fellowship. He doesn't just want to show up and demonstrate. He wants to abide with us too. He wants us to hang out. He wants us just to chill with him. Look with me if you can at 1 John. 1 John 1 through 3. 1 John 1, 1 through 3. I like this scripture just because it's got our church name in it. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we look upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. There it is. The life that was made manifest, and we have seen it. We testify and proclaim it to the eternal life, which was in the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, that which you too have made fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He wants fellowship with us. We see that so clearly. He didn't just want to have a meal. He didn't go to Zacchaeus so Zacchaeus could provide for him. He went to Zacchaeus so that he could fellowship with him. Observation number four. Jesus spends time with the least likely. And do you see I put it in there? Me. You'd say that for yourself. Say that. Say that. Jesus spends time with the least likely. Me. Me. Now, I don't mean to be putting anyone down in this room because you all, in my opinion, are some of the most incredible people in the world. Let's face it, I'm the least likely. Maybe you can agree with that. Not about me. I mean, you know, don't point a finger at me, please, today. But maybe you can say, maybe that's me. Maybe that's me. Hmm. Maybe that's me. Matthew, when Jesus calls Matthew, in verse chapter 9, verse 9, Jesus passed on from there and he saw a man, Matthew, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, another tax collector you see here, follow me. And he rose and followed him. It still blows my mind that Jesus just walked up to this dude and said, follow me. And he's like, okay, I'll leave my job. I'll leave my security. I'll leave everything I know so that I can follow you and one day die because of you or for you. And, and as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Hmm. The least likely. The least likely. Observation number five, very clearly, 
Jesus brings transformation. Verse 8, we see that. Again, just recapping some of the story. And Zacchaeus stood and said, Behold, Lord. Of course, there's the revelation. The half of my goods I give to the poor. And, and this, is, this threw me for a little bit, and I had to dive into this. Because if you see right there, is, did I have this scripture in there? Yeah. No, I don't. I don't think I did copy it in there. Just kidding. Um, I thought I had it in my notes. I do early on, but we won't go there. Just so we can look in our scriptures here. And Zacchaeus said, uh, it says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, and I looked at that if. Because part of me is like, is he still not fessing up? Well, maybe. But, you know, when you look at the actual understanding of the culture, the, the language there, he's not saying if I have, he says, it, it's, it's absolute admission of what I have done. It's absolute admission of what I've done. It's just saying, I will. It's not trying to find a loophole. It's not trying to find a way out. He's saying, those things that I have done, I will restore. I will repay fourfold. And what I find really amazing is how he has a great understanding here of fourfold. Because this goes back to the, the law. That is what he's required by the law to do, to repay fourfold. I don't know how this tax collector knows that, but he does. I don't know if something just happens when we have encounters with Jesus that he just instills with us the exact way that things need to be addressed, but he does. So he brings transformation. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, and I love this, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. I just, I just see this do-over moment here. You just start over. What's been is over. What's now is new. My last observation. It's much like transformation, but it's even better. It's restoration. Jesus brings restoration. Brings restoration. Read it on. In that story in verse number 9, and Jesus said to him, I didn't read this earlier on, I wanted to save it for now. Today salvation has come to this house since he is also, maybe I did read this, since he is also, or since he also is a son of Abraham. There's this picture of being grafted into the vine, being brought into the house of Abraham. There's this restoration that happens, being restored to the house in which he belongs. And when we come into the house of Jesus, when we come into revelation of who Jesus is, when Jesus walks into this room and he stops, we begin to see who he is and he restores us to our rightful place as new creatures in the kingdom of God, grafted into the vine, and we do join in with the house of Abraham and all of the blessings that go with it, all of the promises that accompany it. I want to close with 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You're not alone in this. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and I love this last word, and establish you. So go back to the last, if you can, quickly, the last slide that had all of the, yeah. So it's kind of hard to see up there, but 
and recapping when Jesus stops for the unlikely. Of course, that's one of the points, but he stops for the tenacious. He knows our name. He wants fellowship. He spends time with the least likely. Hallelujah. He brings transformation, and he also brings restoration. And I believe that we've seen very clearly us. Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I hope it's challenged you and enriched your life. I hope it's helping you live a life closer to service with Jesus Christ. Hey, if it's done anything for you today, if it's meant anything, we could use your support. And there's several ways you can do that. First off, you can pray for us. Pray as we're doing our church plant here in northeastern Oklahoma that God is totally blessing all of our efforts, but also in the area of support. If you want to give financially to what we're doing, you can go to our website at WLMiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I dot com and click on the give tab and go through the process there to contribute. And also, if you are in the area near Miami, Oklahoma on a Sunday morning, why don't you join us for our live experience at 10 a.m.? We'd love to see you. God bless.